Hello everyone and welcome back to the Full Circle podcast. I hope you've been enjoying our exploration of love so far. There is so much to cover, so I'm grateful that you're joining me again as we continue to delve into this topic. And today we are looking at love through the lens of a new mother. When expecting a new child, our hearts and minds can be overrun with thoughts of love and the potential for love. But what happens when issues like postpartum depression interfere with that perfect love we imagined having? Today, I have Emily Phelps on the show. She's a prenatal birth and postpartum doula and the founder of Matrasense Perinatal Care. She's here to discuss the realities of motherhood, including postpartum depression and other mental health struggles that often follow childbirth. Emily puts a focus on maternal mental health through her work as a doula, even giving a TED talk on her own experiences with perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. I'm thrilled to have Emily join us to share her own story and learn some expert tips on how managing mental health, love and motherhood. My hope is that our conversation brings comfort to mothers who may have experienced or been experiencing the same struggles. If you struggle to form a connection with your child, then I hope you find a ray of light after listening to this episode. Welcome, Emily, to the Full Circle podcast, Finding Your Way Home. I'm delighted to be having this conversation with you. How are you feeling as you enter our conversation today? Feeling very good. Thank you. Good. I'm so glad you're here because we're talking about, I think, what is such an important topic, actually. And I thought what might be quite good for us to begin with is just to find out a little bit more about what you do at the moment and how you help others. How I help others. Uh, my, my, yes. my son, the other day, uh, we were talking about our, our jobs and he said, my four-year-old, uh, my job is to go to school and daddy's job is to go to work and mommy's job is to teach babies. <laughs> so that's how he has <laughs> encapsulated what I do, uh, which is kind of a nice, a nice blend of actually what it is that I do. So I, I have two different jobs that I work in and one is as a corporate trainer. So I work with adults as they are learning what we often refer to as soft skills, uh, things like um, relationship building and listening, things you know all about. Uh, But I like to refer to them more as critical skills because they are the really important building blocks of relationships and life and feeling functional and finding your way. The other piece is working as a birth and postpartum doula. And I really love both elements of work and especially when they overlap. Uh, There's a specific program that I have called the Matrescence Project that allows them to overlap, which is really bringing parents along, coming alongside them really as they are becoming parents, going through whatever pregnancy looks like for them or the period of, of waiting for baby to arrive and then journeying with them still once they meet that new baby and they have this new addition in their life and their lives are transformed, their identities are transformed. They go, what the heck happened? And then we're, we still have the same group kind of sitting alongside them. Um, and being very practical, too, about the education that is helpful and, and what they may want and need. And my roles as a doula function in the way that a, do, a doula traditionally does, to come alongside for emotional, physical, and practical support during prenatal, 
birth and postpartum, uh, not clinical in any way, but really to be there to support emotionally uh, and physically what is going on for this family. Amazing. And so what kind of led you into the doing the doula work in the first instance? What kind of took you to that? Yeah, it was after my son was born. So he was born in the fall of 2017. And really the, the journey was because of my the challenges I had with him with postpartum depression, anxiety, postpartum onset OCD, birth trauma. Uh, I would joke that I had like a trail mix of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. I've got almost all of them. And it was, it was such a challenging time, but I think it was two things. One was really a need to make some meaning of that and really be able to heal from that in a way that gave it some purpose. But also because I realized I had a very well-developed professional skill set to be able to help teach, prepare, coach, and hold space for others who were about to go through this transition, especially given that societally we do not see this very much before it happens to us ourselves. So we're very shocked and surprised at what the reality of, of parenthood is and being able to also come alongside and teach and be able to really coach and, and sort of not handhold, but to be able to hold that space for people as they're journeying as well. My son now is 19, but when I had him in 2002, you know, there wasn't really a lot of that offering here in the UK at the time. And I know it's growing and more and more people are training to be doulas, but I think it's such an important job. And you're right, we have no idea. We're thrown into the unknown and it's such a shock to the system, even though it can be a it's a wonderful experience, but it's still a huge shock, isn't it, to the system? So do you mind sharing a little bit more about your experience in terms of what happened to you when you had your had your son absolutely so my husband and i struggled to get pregnant and so we were we were very intentional he was in no way shape or form a surprise we spent years trying to get pregnant with him and ended up going through the process of in vitro fertilization or ivf and so we went through all of that finally got pregnant my pregnancy was incredible it was amazing i i felt even when I didn't feel great, I still felt great. Um, I was able to just power through the things that weren't as as great and wonderful. Uh, I broke my foot when I was 34 weeks pregnant and spent the rest of the time on a, a scooter and crutches. And I had a smile on my face genuinely the entire time. I loved being pregnant. And then when my pregnancy came to a close and my baby arrived, I was absolutely thrown for a loop. His birth was was traumatic in that it ended up being a very, very long labor and delivery, but I got an infection at the very end of delivery that showed up right after he was born. And as my fever was rising and rising and I became shaky and started to have all these signs of, of what I knew to be septic shock because of the field that I worked in at the time, in my mind, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm dying. My, I'm, I'm dying right now. And my body had that response to believing it was in peril. I, I, I wasn't. I was in a safe place and I had healthcare providers that were on top of it. But I didn't know that. And my nervous system didn't know that. So that trauma really got encoded. But I had a healthy baby. And I was fine. And so we went home from the hospital and settled in as new parents do. And it didn't occur to me that that significant event... Uh, became a seed that got buried very far underground, but was very much still there. And then in the months following his birth, I think especially because of that initial trauma, I didn't feel really connected to him right away. I, I, 
enjoyed him. I liked looking at this very adorable baby, but I didn't feel deeply connected to him. And that kind of grew into what I thought might be anxiety. And so I talked to a friend who I knew had struggled with postpartum anxiety and said, this is kind of what I'm dealing with and what it looks like. I think this is anxiety. And what we found is it was not just anxiety. It was also depression. It was also postpartum onset OCD, which is very uh, close to anxiety. And it was the trauma as well. And it took us many months of both therapy, uh, appointments with practitioners who could prescribe medications, uh, group work to really uncover what in the world had, had kind of gone wrong with this. Um, and, and nothing had really gone wrong except that I went through what many, many birthing parents go through and even non-birthing parents that I had a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder that went undiagnosed for a time and then underdiagnosed and then under-resourced. And so it really became this journey of his entire first year of life became my recovering from his birth. And I think especially after that incredible pregnancy, it felt like such a letdown to have resources available to me to have an incredibly supportive partner who is a therapist, by the way, to have one who lives in the house and it still happened the way it did to be educated and resourced and to still go through all that just felt like, yeah. how does anyone do this? If, if I struggle this much, how yeah. does anyone do it? Absolutely. Gosh, sounds like that was a real journey. And and as you said there, that kind of 12 months was spent, like you said, recovering and, and just getting over the birth in that way. So I kind of don't want to kind of take it too far back, but I'm curious around in those moments, could you share how you felt at times? Absolutely. So I think when the the depression, when it really was intense, and I remember a moment going to an appointment with my provider my husband had to actually come along with me and I'm, I am not a soft spoken person. I am, I am not a quiet person and I don't want for words ever. And my depression was so profound at that point that I could not speak for myself anymore. I could simply, it was all I could do to, to physically walk to the car, to be driven to the office, to walk into that appointment. I had no energy. I had no real desire to find it again. I know that I just felt exhausted, physically exhausted and tired. Yes, but also emotionally evaporated, I think is probably the best way to describe it. There was just, there was nothing left. Someone had not just snuffed out a, a, a flame. They had just poured a bucket of water on a campfire. It was completely gone. And um, having to have someone speak for me and really struggle to even make eye contact was, that is a profound memory of how intense the depression got at times. I think the postpartum OCD is very interesting because that does not get discussed anywhere near as much. I'm still learning a lot. I, I am having a lot more challenges with that in my second postpartum as I navigate that. And it really is an offshoot of anxiety. And it, it encompasses something that is very common for new parents, which is intrusive thoughts. And those are those kind of crazy what if thoughts that happen that just fly into your head and you think, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible parent. I, I don't want that to happen to my child. You see something horrific in your mind and it happens to so many new parents. And it can be okay. It, it sort of depends on how troubling are those thoughts for you? Is it just a thought that comes in and you think, oh my gosh, that's a... That's a wild thought and you're able to let it go. Or does it 
continue to come back? Does it kind of eat away at you? Exactly. And because it's a sort of an anxiety derivative, that was another one that was incredibly challenging for me. Luckily, with my partner being a therapist, I was able to say, I had this thought and able to speak it and say it and, and really kind of take away its power because I was able to say what it was. But I also acknowledge that there are not many people who can say that thought to their partner and their partner can listen and be okay. And I was very lucky yeah. to have that. Because I think like you mentioned before, this kind of thing is so often overlooked or just not even diagnosed at mm -hmm. all. I would imagine, I mean, I've not had it myself, but I've had friends who've had similar situations and you can see them really struggling and how difficult it is, especially when it's not being diagnosed and they're still kind of what's going on. I'm not sure what's happening within me. And, and it can really take, kind of take its toll as you've mm -hmm. described. One of the most interesting things I think is that there is, there is no, even when it is diagnosed, it's not like we do an x-ray and we see, oh, there's a broken bone. We don't do a blood draw and say, oh, it's positive for this. We look at a scale, an assessment. We talk, we see how you're feeling, how you're coping. And then kind of di diagnostics in mental health, it's much more of an art form. And because of that, I think it can be especially tricky. And I know for me, it took me a very long time to even come to terms with the diagnosis because if I had a good day, I felt like I imagined the whole thing. On my good days, I would gaslight my reality of the bad days. And it took a long time to get out of that thought pattern. And I think the challenge of not having a black and white diagnosis, especially in an information-rich and data-rich world, we really seek that clarity. And it's simply not there the same way. And the diagnostic tools that we do have specific to perinatal are focused on the birthing person. They're specifically focused on that birthing person being uh, identifying as a mother and female. And they are focused on depression, not so much anxiety and other things that may show up and not yeah. for other people who may be impacted by the birth. I suppose like the wider family, I suppose, like your husband. and Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so on that journey then of those, when you had your son, that first 12 months, how did you feel about the relationship with your son? How did that start to... I, I remember the first sense I had after he was born was just the relief that the very physical part of birthing him was done. And the next thought I had was, I have to figure out how to breastfeed this thing. And it was very telling that... <laughs> I, yes, remember, I remember right? that one. <laughs> yeah. And it was not just the, Awful. I have to figure out a new, a new thing now after my body just went through this very intense experience. But I didn't... He was not my son to me yet. That was still a very foreign thing. There was a baby I was caring for, but I didn't have a son. That that didn't those things didn't align and I looking back on that that makes so much sense because I had just met him. He had been inside my body for months, but I had just met him and I had just gone through this very physical experience. But I had no expectation that that wouldn't immediately line up, that baby wouldn't be my son and have a baby that I have deep, immense love for because he is mine. And so it took, it took a few, the first month especially, I remember he would cry, I would care for him. It was a very, it was very transactional. It was, and I think it tends to be with newborns. They don't react a whole lot to you yet. And, and so you're getting used to all that. But I remember sitting on the couch one evening with my husband and we were, we were watching a show 
that it's theme music, particularly orchestral in a way that kind of tugs the heartstrings a bit. And I, I looked down at Anthony, my son, and I thought, I think I, I think I might love you. And that was the first time. And that was three or four weeks in that I thought, gosh, maybe I do. And so much of it, I am convinced was because I had this orchestral music in the background that was kind of driving the emotions anyway. And you're already so hormonal at that point that that kind of helped push into this. Maybe, maybe I do. It wasn't definitive. It didn't feel certain. It just felt like maybe I do love you. And that was really, that happened. And that was probably the peak of my emotional connection with him for months. Again, I don't want to make assumptions, but I'm curious around your own experience of helping others through this and your own experience. I mean, I would imagine that some people do find it difficult to love their child when they've got all that other stuff going on. That's obviously very important from a health perspective. And so how easy or not is it to then find your way back to or even fall in love with your child and still love your child after such things like postpartum depression. I think the the range of typical is so much wider than we have any idea. And we're very much exposed to this narrative that a birth is very quick, is very instantaneous and dramatic. And suddenly there's a baby and there are tears and there's connection. And then the curtain falls and it's, we're left with things feeling very tidy and lovely. And even in the best of circumstances, when a birth is not traumatic, a birth is very, it can even be healing in some cases when you've had a previous traumatic birth, the birth goes well, everyone is healthy, the baby's healthy, parents feel good afterwards. There is still the physical and emotional recovery that has to come with it. So even when it's a best case scenario, you look down at that baby and you do say, I'm in love with you. There's still so much that has to come along. So for that, I think the village that surrounds us is a huge piece of what allows us to find our way back home because we are reeling from this experience and and we're not good as people in general, but especially as a larger society, we're not good about honoring that an immense experience has happened that has a hugely acceptable range of emotional responses. It does not have to be all happy. It does not have to be all feeling thankful for how everything has gone. Absolutely. But I think I would imagine, and tell me again if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that a lot of people judge themselves in those moments of thinking that perhaps I'm a bad parent, what's wrong with me, why can't I love my child immediately? Absolutely. Because, as I said, 19 years ago I, I gave birth but you know, and I only had the one. But I think there is this sense of though that in itself, it was challenging in its own right for everybody. Because, And the other bit that you mentioned before was that sense of loss of identity. And I think we go through that as women, I would say, especially, you know, when we have given birth. And I think it takes a long time for us to find our way back to ourselves. I'm just wondering what your experience of that yes, is. Yes, I remember the best way I could illustrate it was it was it was as if I was in space and I was tethered to the spaceship and someone cut the tether and I was just floating and there was no gravity. There was no sound. There was no light there. I, it's just I'm utterly alone, but I'm also confused. I don't, I don't have resources and yet everything is moving very slowly still. There's not a lot going on when you have, there's a lot going on, but there's not a lot of novelty when you're caring for, especially a newborn. 
it's the same few tasks over and over and over again. And a lot of times we as adults have never experienced anything like that in our lives. And that sudden shift, especially for those who uh, have a history of a long time in a career or being very high performers to suddenly shift. Oh, that is extreme. And, and it, it feels extreme. And yet we don't get prepared for how extreme that is and normalizing that that feeling is yes. And, and, and I think so much of what is very true about what you're saying is the, the idea that it happens People feel like they are defective. What am I doing wrong? I'm I'm not a good parent. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good partner. I'm not able to do it right. It's me. It is not. It is not you. And that is that is true. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I'm hearing coming through is that message that actually it is not, you're not doing anything wrong. It's not your fault. And I think that's something that I think is a really useful message and a reminder because I think, you know, especially new mums can be really hard on themselves because you're tired, you know, as you said, your hormones are all over the place. And so it, it is very difficult. And I think even looking back to myself, you wanted everything just to be perfect. And it's, of course, it's not going to be perfect. But I remember wanting everything just to be just so myself. And, and I've seen my friends go through the same thing. And when it's not, you've just got to remember to be compassionate and kind to yourself. And I know we're talking about loving your child after postpartum depression, things like that. But actually, I think a key thing for me also is about learning to love yourself yes, in these moments. And right before those words came out of your mouth, that's exactly where my mind went. It is, it is very much that. If we imagine that we had a friend who just became a parent and they called us at three o'clock in the morning and are, are just sobbing, trying to tell us how they feel and what they're going through. And we think about how we would react to them. We wouldn't say, oh no, you're just imagining it. It's really okay. We wouldn't say, yeah, you know, just try to be happy. We, we would just, we would let them cry their tears and we would let them have their feelings and we would want to hold them in compassion and kindness and we are so very good at doing that for other people, especially as women. We are not good at doing that for ourselves. And that is very much what I like to give the example of, because we are often very good at holding that space for other people and allowing other people to say what they need to say and feel what they need to feel. But we're not good at giving ourselves that own that, that love right back to ourselves. And so obviously, I know that you've had mm -hmm. another baby last year was it yeah oh, yes in, COVID, a COVID in the midst baby. of covid oh, a whole nother a whole nother version of 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 craziness <laughs> yeah i have I have two friends who've also had babies through um covid time and yeah quite a quite a strange time to have a baby but how has that been for you oh, this time goodness. around it has been my pregnancy was terrible let me start with that as much as i loved it the first time <laughs> i hated every minute of it the second time mm -hmm. i was i was so sick um, I, <laughs> it, was, it was just, it was very humbling to have that first pregnancy be so great and to know that that can happen. And then to have the second one be so terrible and, and know that I want this baby. We did IVF again. And so again, this was very intentional to get pregnant. And even with that, like that doesn't mean that you are a bad parent for thinking, I just want you out of my body. I want to be done. I am so over it. And I was the second time. But despite all that, the birth 
and this was interesting. I went into the birth really open-minded about how things might go, but very much not wanting to be induced this time and not wanting to have uh, a lot of artificial hormones used. Even if we needed a mechanical induction, I did not want to have Pitocin. And that was like that. Those were my two criteria. And I really kind of said, however else this goes, I'm really okay with it. If I need to have a cesarean birth, that's how I give birth. It's fine. And I went to the doctor uh, just shy of 40 weeks pregnant with blood pressure that was incredibly high and got diagnosed with preeclampsia and went to the hospital for an induction. And my cervix was not ready for an induction to start straight away. So we had to allow medication to sit overnight to soften the cervix. So it was a full induction. It was exactly what I didn't want. And so I had to have, I had a night in the hospital that was very ugly. I cried a lot. I mourned a lot because it felt like the experience that I had worked so hard to avoid just show right up on my doorstep. And it felt like I had done something wrong. It felt like I had messed up. And I, I think I knew deep down that I hadn't. And I had a wonderful midwife and a wonderful doula who encouraged me and my wonderful husband who, who said, no, you, this is not your fault. This is not your fault. But it still felt terrible. And I just needed to, to sob and have those feelings. And the people around me let me have those. And so the sun came up the next morning and I had, I had had the opportunity to cry it all out. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to have, I'm ready to have this baby. I'm ready. To, I'm ready to meet my baby girl. And I knew this time, uh, the, the incredible thing with IVF, we had both of our babies were conceived in 2016 and then we transferred one in 2017. And then our, our, we knew we had a boy and a girl because of some testing that we did. And when Anthony was born, we knew our son had arrived. And so by elimination, we knew our daughter remained. And it was a very interesting journey to get attached to her before she was anything more than a a five-day-old cluster of cells that lived in a freezer. And when I was laboring, I felt so connected to her and I I talked to her. Uh, And that's something that I cannot... Even if I had thought to do that the first time around, there's, I never would have been able to. I did not have that connection to my body and my baby. And when I got to meet her, I, I just, in the last um, stages of delivery, I was able to pull her up from my birth canal to my chest. And that was so special. And I just, it was like, a, I was like a kid on Christmas. I couldn't wait to get my arms on her, arms around her, my hands on her and just see her. And it was, it was wonderful. And so I had a really fantastic birth experience with her. And so out of that, because it feels like you've learned mm-hmm. an awful lot from both those different experiences, then really been applying that into the work that you do. So what would you say has been your kind of biggest learnings through I, both these yeah, different experiences? Yeah, support is so important. Support is so important. And that can be, uh, it needs to be a couple of things. It needs to be a trusted inner circle. I'm able to tell this story very openly and confidently now, but I kept my depression and my anxiety a closely guarded secret for a very long time with my first pregnancy. And I needed to do that in order to understand it, in order to get my arms around it and to be able to start to heal from it before I was just talking about it. Uh, so having that trusted inner circle was really important. People in my life who I could fall apart with. The way I, I, the image I have in my mind is 
I would go to my nurse practitioner who was my prescribing provider for medication during my first postpartum. And her nurse would, would greet me in the waiting room and, and bring me back. And as we were walking, she'd say, oh, how are you doing? And I'd say, oh, I'm doing very well. And we'd chit chat a bit. And we'd get to the exam room. She'd close the door and she would say, how are you really doing? And I would answer her honestly, because we, we got through the social code of the how are you's. And that was fine. But I also needed that backroom chat. And it was, so it's the people that you can have that backroom chat with. You can close the door. They can say, how are you really? And you don't have to hesitate to give them an honest answer. And at the same time, having that professional support was huge as well. Having people who were knowledgeable about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, how to treat them, uh, things that were more useful, less useful. That time period is, it is different than any other in life. And it really helps to have providers who are specifically trained and understand how to handle that. Mm-hmm. Just what you shared there in terms of your learnings can absolutely be reflected to maybe what might help others as well. But do you have any other top tips for anybody else who might have experienced this or going through this or even just approaching their birth mm-hmm. for the first time? Any kind of words of wisdom that you could oh, share that might gosh. be useful for um, us? Hire, hire a doula. Um, that's one of the biggest. <laughs> I, you know, it's finding those ways to connect with your child that feel good to you is really important. This came through in a big way for me with my older child once my baby was born. I could not I could not feel okay giving resources to him when she was right there and it was clear she needed something from me. And even when it wasn't clear she needed something to, from me, my biologic preference was to be with her. So he and I needed to leave the house and in times of a pandemic that is incredibly challenging. And so sometimes it would simply be we would go outside and walk in our neighborhood or we would go to a park where we could be outdoors and away from other people. Uh, It didn't have to be significant. And I think I spent a lot of time trying to find ways that I could spend time with just him and I that, that were special. And what I found was when I planned something special, and I told him about it. He had no interest in doing it, as four-year-olds tend to be, and he likes to be home. Uh, and so it really just became, make it simple for me. Let's let's go sit outside and read a book. Let's sit on the porch and let you play with your toys. And and I just kind of watch you and talk to you. They they want our presence. They they don't care if we've showered. They don't care what we're doing on social media. They don't care about any of that. They don't care how many likes we have. They don't care. Uh, There's so many things they don't care about that we get wrapped up in. They need our presence. And you can, you can set the bar really low for what that can look like. So I think that's probably the other big, big piece of advice is to uh, set the bar low, set the bar low for joy, set the bar low for productivity, set the bar low for how things look and how you think that they should, especially with how curated our visual consumption tends to be these days with social media. Set that bar low. That's probably, that's probably some of the best advice that, that I would have had a very mm. hard time taking. I will also say that. Um, so being gracious with yourself is huge. Yeah, I think that's a huge lesson, isn't it? That graciousness. And I think you're, I think there's something there for me as well, which came through, which is most probably about not comparing and contrasting as well, and just finding 
your own way with it because there isn't really any right or wrong. It's just about finding your way with it. Yeah. And getting in your routine Absolutely. or whatever it is that you need to do. I was reading a book yeah. lately um, about uh, a, a transgender man who carried and birthed uh, his child. And there's a section in the book that's all about uh, their journey to breastfeed and to chest feed and and uh, their their quest to exclusively give their child human milk. Um, I, there were so many points along the way because I had a very hard time breastfeeding my first that I, I thought, oh, I, I don't want you, I don't want you to make this so hard on yourselves. You're being so hard on yourselves, and and it's really been a wonderful exercise for me to reflect and and say, hold on, this is how they, this is how they want to do it, and there may be hard lessons in this that they learn, that they go back later and say, we didn't need to do it that way, but but we have to learn those lessons ourselves, and when we think that every single person who is on this planet is here because someone went through a birth. We have figured out different ways to get babies into bodies, but we have not yet figured out a different way to get them out. So everyone has gone through a birth. If you are here, someone birthed you. Surgically, vaginally, however it went. When a, when in a life event like that is so universal, the most universal thing, and yet so incredibly special, having both ends of that spectrum held in one event makes it just rife for opportunity for comparison and for wanting and supposing and assuming and judging. And that's the last thing in the world that we need as new parents. Absolutely. Oh, what a great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing all what you've had. It's been really insightful and, and lovely to, I know you've had your ups and downs, but really thank you for sharing that, that side of your experience as well, because I think we can all learn an awful lot from what you shared. So thank you so much. So if people want to find out more about you, maybe as a doula or where, where, where can they the get best, hold of you? Uh, place where things are, are contained nicely is my website, which is matrescenceproject.com, matrescence. M-A-T-R-E-S-C-E-N-C-E. I picked a very hard word, but it's uh, the, the process of mother becoming. So for me, it's, it's also a very, it's a beautiful word. Uh, and, and that process of mother becoming is what brought me to this work. So it felt, it felt good to honor that. Uh, and you can also look up my TED Talk, which goes into a much deeper dive of that initial postpartum story, uh, which I think can be helpful for folks uh, that's available on the TED Talk, uh, the TED website. Um, if you look up my name, it'll pop up with that. And then there's a link to it on my website yeah. as well. The other plug I will give is is for all. That's amazing. If you are around people at all who are giving birth or who are becoming parents or you are doing this yourself, familiarize yourself with Postpartum Support International. They are the most incredible organization. They serve globally, uh, support groups, online support groups, uh, connecting with local therapists. They, they really, um, they do it all and they are out there growing what they offer. And they're just an incredible, incredible body of mostly volunteers who run that and make it happen. And some of the best postpartum support that I received and that I see others receiving uh, comes from the work that they do. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's been a real pleasure too, and it's been Jillian. lovely talking Thank to you, so Emily. Much. Thank you. tuning in. I'd love to take a moment and tell you about our wellness retreats that will be happening in May 2022 in Mallorca, Spain. 
my team and I have created four immersive retreats that allows you to take a step back from all the stresses and strains of your daily life in order to focus on your physical, mental, emotional and spiritual well-being. From coaching mastery, mindfulness and meditation, conscious living and so much more, we offer a nurturing and truly experiential life-enriching environment where you'll reconnect, rediscover and reaffirm who you are and what you want in your life. If you're interested in learning more, head to the fullcircleglobal.com website and click the retreats tab. In the meantime, stay well, invite joy and curiosity into your life and see you soon.